Welcome to Holistic Trauma Healing, a podcast that empowers you to heal trauma in the same way it has affected you as a whole person. I am Lindsay Lockett, your host. I have discovered a profound path to healing trauma that allows us to move out of the role of victim and into the role of empowered and conscious creator of our best possible reality. I offer hope, healing insights, and practical tips as you get to the root of how trauma has affected every part of your existence and how to weave a new web of life that isn't ruled by the past. Welcome back. Thank you for being here. I'm super excited about today's episode. In today's episode, I am doing a deep dive into a discussion about dance and movement therapy with Erica Hornthal. Erica is known on Instagram as the therapist who moves you, and she assists clients in making lasting changes by learning to harness the power of the body for improved mental health. If you've been struggling with mental health and you've exhausted talk therapy options, or you just want a holistic approach to emotional well-being, then dance and movement therapy with Erica is the answer you've been looking for. Erica is a clinical psychotherapist and board-certified dance and movement therapist who is highly sought out by the media to comment on the mind-body connection. In this episode with Erica, we discuss dance and movement therapy as a powerful trauma healing tool. We also dispel any doubts or myths that you need dance classes or training of any kind to practice and benefit from dance and movement therapy. We share how anyone can use dance and movement therapy, including folks with disabilities, and we give some practical ways that you can get into your body even if you can't move part of your body. We discuss why dance isn't only something to watch and consume as entertainment, but something that we all need to be embodying and practicing. We share how Erica, as a therapist, meets her clients wherever they are to connect with their bodies, and we explain the difference between movement as exercise and intentional conscious movement as therapy. And we also discuss why movement in the body is essential to getting unstuck. And finally, we validate folks who feel awkward in or disconnected from their bodies, and we give small ways to overcome that awkwardness and disconnection. So enjoy this interview with Erica Hornthal, the therapist who moves you. Hey, Erica, welcome to the Holistic Trauma Healing Podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really excited to talk to you about dance and movement therapy for trauma. That's something that for people who are following me on Instagram, I've been posting a lot of videos of myself dancing and moving lately. And I personally can say without any coaching or without any training in this, like just three minutes of moving and dancing when I'm feeling dysregulated in my body releases so much and it's made a huge difference in my life. So I'd love to chat more with you about that. Definitely. I totally agree. And that's something I'm really passionate about talking about just moving for mental health in general, but there is so much trauma and traumatic response happening in the world today that I think it's worth talking about for sure. For sure. So how did you get into dance and movement therapy? I had been, you know, dancing my whole life since I was young. And what I've come to realize is it wasn't what I thought was performance and skill and expression. I think more it became an outlet and what actually helped me move through stressful transitions, just childhood 
adolescence, it really became a way for me to process and move through a lot of places in my life, traumatic or not, and are traumatic in their own way. And uh, thankfully, when I was transitioning from young adulthood to college, I guess, adolescence to young adulthood, um, a professor pointed me in the direction of dance movement therapy and said, it looks like you're really excited or interested in helping people and you want to continue to pursue some type of career in dance. Have you thought about dance movement therapy? And I had never heard of it before. So as a, you know, 19, 20 year old, it really caught my attention. I went home and researched it and lo and behold, decided to pursue my master's degree in it. Wow. So how long have you been doing dance and movement therapy? I entered the field in 2005 and I've been practicing as a board certified movement therapist since 2011. Wow. That's a long time. So before we get into sort of the way that the dance and movement helps to regulate the nervous system and move energy and emotions through the body, I want to go ahead and just ask, I think the answer is probably obvious, but I want to ask anyway, can someone who has had no training in dance or movement practice this on their own, in their home, by themselves, even if they've had no training? Yes. Hands down, yes. That is one of the tricky points about dance movement therapy because that word dance is in there. We create our own assumptions, judgments around what that looks like or who I have to be in order to engage in it. And when it comes down to it, dance is just one of our earliest forms of expression, right? Earliest for us developmentally, also, you know, societally, culturally, cultures, indigenous tribes, civilizations were dancing way before formal language was invented. And I always see it as a, whether you believe in God, spirit, deity, it's a given right. (laughs) You are born into this body and you are allowed to take up space in it and move how you need to. I don't think we understand just how beneficial that is and, and why we need to be doing it. But yeah, you can two left feet. You can have no feet. You can have a heartbeat, brain waves, blood flowing through your veins, and you can participate in a movement therapy practice. Absolutely. Amazing. So why is dance and movement so important to us as humans? Honestly, it's what we exist in, right? We are our bodies. And that's not to say that we don't, again, based off of your beliefs, there can be a soul. We obviously have this higher cognitive power, this cognitive function, but we exist in this world, in this body. And most of our communication is in our body. And yet we don't pay attention to it. We constantly, if we're able to rely on this higher functioning in our brain, and not everybody has access to that, whether it's because developmentally it's not there, cognitively it's not there, or maybe emotionally we're in a trauma response and we can't access that part of the brain in that time or in that moment in time. Again, it's something we really need to understand that it's a resource we all have the ability to tap into, but I think it does take awareness, it takes practice, and it takes diligence and and patience. It's not going to be comfortable. It's not comfortable for everybody, especially if we're not used to being in our bodies. And even as dancers or performers, that doesn't mean we're comfortable in our bodies expressing our emotions either. I think it's necessary because it is a way to regulate. It is a way to support the discomfort that comes up. 
and oddly enough, a way to work through it as well. I think what's sticking out for me is I grew up as a competitive baton twirler. Okay. And so a lot of, I took a lot of dance classes because a lot of the movements that you have to do in uh, baton involve a lot of ballet and took ballet classes. The last ballet class I took was in college and that sort of dance, I never did recitals or anything like that. It was more of a, a way to sometimes runners do yoga because yoga makes them better runners. I did ballet because ballet made me a better twirler. Yeah. So it just taught me like how to, to be in balance and how to hold my hands and point my toes and, and things like jump, leap, do things like that. And the way that I grew up was not that dance or ballet was something that you did to process emotions or to move energy through your body. It was something that I did because it was performance-based. And so growing up in that world, I often went to recitals and ballet shows and saw people dancing for entertainment. And on the movies, we see like pole dancing and stripping as a form of entertainment. And so it's like dance, at least for me, and maybe for a lot of people listening, is something that we've consumed as entertainment and like something that we enjoy watching. And so a lot of people, I feel like there's a disconnect. And so people are like, I don't know how to do ballet or I don't know how to pole dance or I I don't know how to do any of those things. And, and I'm just used to watching those things from a performance aspect as entertainment and not as a way of being in my body and and moving my myself and my emotions and all that. And I think you made a really good point whenever you said that before we had formalized language, like indigenous tribes and civilizations, were dancing and they danced for fun. They danced for ceremony. They danced for rain, fertility, like all of these different things. But they also like, it was more sacred to them, I think, than it is for us, at least in like Western America. Do you notice that as well when you're working with people that there's this, but isn't ballet for performance (laughs) or isn't that for performance? Absolutely. And as you were speaking, the one thing that came to mind quite clearly is how often before I engage with a client, if they're not really sure of what it looks like, or they're intrigued, or they might find me through their insurance panel. And so they're interested in the counseling aspect, but they don't know about this dance thing. A lot of the question, the question that I seem to get a lot is what dance form do you work with? What kind of dance do I need to know to engage in this work? And I used to honestly roll my eyes. They can't always see it because right? we're talking over the phone. But I used to be like, oh, this question again. And now when I hear that question, I actually get excited because it's an opportunity for me to continue to advocate for this more broadened general term of dance. And that we really have conditioned ourselves to believe that dance is only an aesthetic practice, is only a performance practice. And if we don't have a certain skill set, it's not for us. I love seeing dance on TV, but it continues to perpetuate this really intense, almost unattainable set of skills that even as a dancer myself growing up, I never would have been able to do that. I think I was able to do one split. I never had a straddle. I never did fuetes. It just, it wasn't in the cards for me. And yet I still consider myself a dancer. Am I a professional dancer? No. Did I want to be a professional dancer? No. 
but I think what people need to understand is there is a difference. There's a difference between being the expert in your body and the expert of a skill such as dance, an art form such as dance. And that is not what dance therapy is about. I do not turn people into better dancers. You may feel like you are more connected, therefore your whatever dancing skill you had coming in gets better, but that's never a goal. We don't see clients because it's like, oh, I really, I can't get this triple turn. And I think seeing a dance therapist will really help me. I'm not a therapist for your dance skills. I'm a therapist for you. And we use that as a way to connect to the body, which helps us express ourselves more. That's really beautiful. Thank you so much for clearing that up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, now that we've cleared up, that <laughs> for anybody, if you have brainwaves in a heartbeat, this is for <laughs> and you can benefit from dance and movement, whether you are trained or not. And so now take me into how do you start when you're working with someone brand new and maybe they feel awkward in their body or they feel uncomfortable in their body or they don't even know how to feel in their body because they've been ahead walking around without a body for a long time. How do you get them comfortable with the way that their body feels in space and how they're moving that around? Yeah. So I love actually just how you introduced that because I'll bring it back to, to space. That is a really interesting thing to think about. And that is actually one of the ways that I will orient individuals into their bodies. But first and foremost, it's really, again, as therapy, it's really important that we just meet our clients where they are. And so I've certainly had clients that are very in their bodies. That's not the common thing to see. I think that's very rare this day and age, right? But people will come very connected to their bodies and they want to continue to explore what that looks like or to hone that skill of expressing themselves in their body and not just in their mind. Or they're stuck. They're really stuck in their head right now and they need to get back to connecting to that body. Or again, it's the flow between mind and body. But as you mentioned, I would say a bulk of the work is with individuals who don't have any awareness around their body. And it's sometimes seen as like a new age, this idea of holistic, right? Oh, maybe I'll try that because the talk thing hasn't really worked or it's plateaued. And this idea of really treating the mind and the body is where the healing deepens. It's actually where it, it continues to foster and maybe even accelerate or move forward. So we'll focus on that because I think people that already have a pretty good awareness of their body, the work is a little bit, I sometimes think it's, it can be more intricate because there's more to work with. But what's really important is when people don't have that safety or don't know what to do in their body, that we're very intentional and go at the pace that the client is ready for. So what does that look like? Oftentimes, it's really just about being mindful of what comes up as we're talking. What are you noticing right now? How, the pace of your speech, the rhythm in your body is, are you noticing your heartbeat? Can you pay attention to it? Is it really fast? Is it really slow? What's your breathing? Are you breathing? To use the verbal to connect to the body is the first way to do that for a lot of people. And then when people are feeling safe enough, maybe even in the first session to just explore like what it's like to move in their own body, that's when I start to bring in elements like you just, like you just said, space. I like to work in like time. So can you speed up your movement? Can you slow it down? What does that feel like? What does that look like? Space. Can we take up space? What kind of space do we like to be in? Are we closed off? Are we open? Are we 
too open because that exists too. And finding the boundaries and what we call like our movement habits, our patterns, our movement profile, how we show up in this body is something that people don't usually look at. It, like they could be in their 40s or 50s and this is the first time they're ever intentionally noticing how they move through life in this body. And until that all you've been doing is moving fast, unless you intentionally know how to slow down your body, you're not going to be able to do that, <laughs> right? Like flipping it instead of trying to slow down your thoughts, because it's really hard. I'm always like, can we slow down our body and notice what that does for our thought cycle? And it looks a lot of different ways. Sometimes it's actual movement oriented exercises or practices. Sometimes it's more mindful meditation. Maybe it's scribbling it on a piece of paper just to see the motions that come up through the body. It's very creative. It's very out of the box. And the beauty of it for me is that it doesn't look the same for every person. Every individual is different, even if they're coming in with the same symptoms or maybe even a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So I noticed that you said something about if you're moving really fast through life and how to slow that down. So can you share how the way we move correlates to how we move or translate through life and how to bring slowness if that's what needs to happen or to bring awareness if that's what needs to happen. I don't, I don't even know. I don't have the vocabulary for that. So can you elaborate more on that? Sure. I think this has become my, definitely my passion, but just through working with clients, actually the first population I started working with was, were individuals who were cognitively um, impaired, right? Maybe because of stroke, most of them had some, some form of dementia, usually Alzheimer's, because that is the, the bulk of the dementias that we see. And I think what really struck me was just because they couldn't communicate the way that society has told them is acceptable, didn't mean that they didn't have anything to say, that they had something to say. And we were seeing it as behaviors. And Ms. Smith is really aggressive. And if we could just give her a medication that eases her mind, eases the nerves, then she won't be so combative. And then it's easier for us to work with her. And I always thought that was inappropriate because if she's not physically hurting herself or others, but she's just showing aggression, isn't it up to us to find a way to connect to that aggression and then give her the opportunity to express it and to alleviate it or to move through it? So I've, I've worked with that a lot and then just transitioned it into working with just everyday people. And I think allowing people to notice and really identify again, this idea of a profile. How do I move? How do I exist in this body? I always like to start with just how have you moved today? That was the first question I started asking audiences and groups of people I was doing workshops with. And it was so interesting because people were always focusing on exercise. I haven't moved today. I didn't get to the gym yet. And I'm like, so how'd you get here? Somebody like pick you up? <laughs> you know, did somebody wheel you in here? Maybe that's true for some people, but we were forgetting, like I woke up, I got dressed, I brushed my teeth, I brushed my hair. And that how we woke up really started to dictate how we moved through the rest of that day. And if that's the way that you move through the day, maybe that's the way you move through the week. And then the week becomes months and years. And all of a sudden you've moved this way your entire life because you never challenged it any other way. Either it was reinforced by your parents, it was reinforced by your environment, your job, your occupation. We need to take notice, take responsibility and take control in a, in a, 
in a sense of how we want to be in this life and understand that we can change that by noticing how we move in our bodies. I had a client once that said, I'm burnt out. I, I own this company. It's my entire life. I don't want that anymore. I do want the company. I do want to do the work, but I don't know how to show up differently in this work. And so we started piecing out. What does it look like? How do you move in your job? How do you move in life? How do you want to move in your job? And it turned out that she was moving so quickly all the time. And she was like, I don't even have time to go to the bathroom. I have to have my assistant tell me that I should go to the bathroom. And just in our session, in our space, where it was hers to do what she wanted, she started to embody these really slow, graceful, grandiose movements and started to cry because she was like, I don't know the last time I did this. I never do this. And there's something in, the, in me that's telling me this is what I need to incorporate more of in my life. Does that mean she's going to her office and doing ballet in the middle of her workspace? Well, maybe, but no, no, that might work for some, but it was just the idea of how it feels, how we're reinforcing that in our bodies. And then how do we bring that to the workplace? Does that make sense? It, yeah. I'm like, obviously on a soapbox, I could go on forever. <laughs> so. it, it totally makes sense to me. And I also love to do a lot of just slow sort of graceful and I do have the ballet training so maybe it's easier for me but that part of myself was shut off for a really long time and I've just let it reawaken in the last few months and even got like my baton out and started going out in the driveway during the summer and twirling again and that felt cool and weird all at the same time, but it's amazing like how much is still there. And for me personally, and maybe you can speak to this because I know a lot of people who listen to this podcast really struggle with anxiety and, mm -hmm. uh, and depression because of the trauma that they've been through. And even if they don't remember it, their body remembers and their nervous system is mounting this adaptation to either put them on super high alert and be hyper vigilant and sensitive about everything. And so that's anxiety or their nervous system is shut down and just to protect <laughs> them by disengaging and sleeping a lot and being really sad and slow. And I know that there are a lot of other mental health things going on with people and I'm just naming like the big two. So I'm not trying to exclude anyone there, but well, you're speaking to your audience and that makes sense. And, and I love that you pointed out that you've worked with people with Alzheimer's and dementia and that's a, like Alzheimer's and dementia is a, is an autonomic nervous system adaptation too. Like it's the, the brain injury that happens from trauma and age and everything else. And it affects the way that the nerves are communicating and the brain is communicating in the body. And so I love that you pointed that out. This really does apply to everyone. How? If somebody is experiencing like major anxiety, panic attacks all the time, insomnia, I've certainly been there and it sucks. Or on the flip side of that, they're like depressed all the time. They don't want to get out of bed. They don't want to move their body. I know for a lot of people, depression causes pain and chronic fatigue. So if they're listening to this and they're like, yeah, that's great for everyone, but I can't do that because I, it would hurt too much or it would make me too tired or like, how do you break through that barrier? Yeah. So more recently, I actually focused on these three directives, if you will. Pandemic, 
COVID time has obviously created opportunity, regardless of what that means. Doesn't necessarily mean positive opportunity, but there's been opportunity. And so it started to, I started to sit with different ways that we could engage our bodies. What if we can never be in a studio or an office together again? And obviously we can Zoom, but what if Zoom isn't available? There have been days where it crashes. What are some things that we can talk about even over the phone that can help elicit a movement response or awareness? And for individuals who are like, yeah, either unmotivated to move physically in too, in too much pain to move or are uncomfortable with the idea of movement. Outside of saying, take a deep breath, which can be really difficult, right? Notice your anxiety, which can be more anxiety provoking. The things that I've actually found helpful are one, asking, how am I moving right now? Which is something I mentioned earlier. Just taking notice. Because even if you feel like you're still, there is still movement in stillness. And maybe you're so anxious that you're jittery, you're shaking, you're irating, you're, you could be still because you're shaking so intensely. Catatonic body gesture, posture. So asking yourself, just saying like, how am I moving right now? What is happening? What isn't happening? You can take that a step further, right? You can even ask, what sensations do I feel right now? What am I feeling in my body? Second question to me is, how does this impact my mental health, right? It's, so this is how I'm moving or I'm not moving. How does this impact my mental health or how will this impact my mental health? Maybe I'm noticing right now I'm feeling depressed or maybe I am really anxious and that's not good for my mental health. And then the last thing is agency. What are ways that I'm going to address this? So if I am laying down or I'm sleeping most of the day, is it in my power to maybe sit up? Can I sit with my eyes open? Can I lay in bed and just take notice of my body? Can I provide some tactile stimulation or touch? Can I feel the boundaries of my body? So it's, it's not taking this, oh my God, it's one more thing I have to do. Oh my God, here's my to-do list. And I already don't feel motivated. If I'm not going to take care of myself, why am I going to start moving? Can't get up to eat a meal. How am I going to start quote exercising? But it starts again to, to reframe what movement is and that it is in our, again, I hesitate to say the word power, but to feel empowered, to make decisions that help us mentally and emotionally by just looking at becoming more aware of how we're moving and then doing something about it. So again, that what are sensations I'm currently feeling or how am I moving? How does this impact my mental health or how will it impact my mental health? And lastly, are there things that I can do to address this? Or what am I going to do to address this in this moment right now? If somebody is open to movement, then I always say, start with micro movements. Start by just blinking your eyes, twitching your nose, opening your mouth, taking a yawn, wiggling your fingers, wiggling your toes. And if that's all you can manage in the moment, that was something. It was something. Yeah, absolutely. I was hearing, you didn't say these words, but what I was hearing whenever you were talking about that is something that we've talked about on past episodes, which is when we're in a trauma loop and we're responding the same way to situations over and over, we feel very stuck. And anxiety keeps us stuck. OCD keeps us stuck. Depression keeps us stuck. Codependent behaviors keep us stuck. We get stuck in fight, flight, freeze, bond. There's a lot of stuckness. And what you're teaching, dance and movement, is literally the opposite of stuckness. 
it's like the cure. It's like the cure for stuckness. And I'm not saying it's the cure for anxiety or the cure for depression, mm-hmm. but I'm saying like, I personally know that you can be anxious as fuck and still move. And that when you're in your body, that for a moment, that anxiety that was in your mind turns off because you're in your body. Mm -hmm. And it's a great way to get unstuck. Mm -hmm. Do you work with a lot of people who feel stuck? Yes. (laughs) Yes. Like there's nothing more to say about that, but yes. And that's actually why I started to focus more on that idea. Like I I created this workbook over the summer again, but the idea of what if I don't see people in person again, how do I put this into a little manual and and email it over to them or or work cross screens that they have maybe a body image that we're going to start to map or, you know, way to identify our emotions in our body. And I started to ask myself, like, who is this for? Right. And the things that kept coming up were One, individuals that have reached a plateau in traditional talk therapy or or counseling or psychotherapy. And the word stuck came up. People that just feel stuck. And rather than accepting I'm stuck and I'm waiting for something to unstick me, what are things that I can do to move myself, body and mind? Sometimes that word is change. Sometimes it's transition. I was just working with a client the other day who, and I think we hear this a lot, but we were focusing on this idea that like her life felt like it was on pause and the irony that life is still happening. So can our life really ever be paused? But I said, let's take the metaphor further. Let's have a remote. So you're on pause. Who pushed that button to begin with? Are you on pause or other people assuming the role that you were on pause? Are they waiting for you to unpause your show? And then we embodied it. I was like, I want you to move. And then touch that remote, click that pause button and stop, pause. And we just focused. I was like, what's happening in this pause? Is there still movement? And she was like, okay, well, I am breathing and I can feel my heartbeat. And there was something in her that was like, I don't actually want to stay here. Like I'm not paused. This is where either I'm meant to be right now, or this is where I am. And maybe this is the point in my life where I'm feeling paused but there's still a lot of movement and life happening. And can I sit in that? Can I sit in that dichotomy? Can I play with both? And and I think that's true for a lot of people. Like we feel stuck, but it's an expectation on maybe our own, maybe others. How do we notice that we're actually moving from that place of stuck? Because that's sometimes the initiation need to move through it. Mm, That's really like beautifully said. So beautifully said resonates for me before I started this podcast I felt like I was in this sort of like liminal holding space like Mm -hmm. I was in the food blogger world did food photography and recipe development lost my shit went through a mental health breakdown was climbing out of that pit working on myself for the first time getting into my body and out of my head and being like what is it that I actually feel and why do I have this distrust for my body and and all of these things And somewhere along the way, I was like, I don't think I was put on this planet to be a food blogger. It's been great. It's been a fun ride, but I don't think that's what I was put on this planet to do. And I've been through this thing, this mental health breakdown. And I think that what I'm put on this planet to do is has something to do with that. 
And, but then it was like, I don't know, a year or something went by and it was like, I was in this in-between space. It was like, I still had this food blog over here, but I wasn't super into it anymore. I wasn't passionate about it at all. But then I had this unknown thing off in the future somewhere that it was like, eventually I'm going to get there, but I don't know how long that's going to take me. And I don't know what that looks like. And so I spent a pretty good chunk of 2020 and it had nothing to do with COVID, but I spent a pretty good chunk of 2020 just like in a waiting room and I did feel stuck. And what helped me to start getting unstuck was actually moving my body. So I escalated my walking, my daily walking that I was doing, I escalated it to jogging. So I was jogging every day and I felt that was giving me forward propulsion. And then I started the the dancing and I started shaking. I, that's when I incorporated shaking therapy into my life and just like really getting into my body and feeling every muscle that I could just moving and shaking. And like slowly, I'm not going to say that it was overnight that I started shaking and then boom, I started a podcast, but (laughs) it was just this sort of slow process of being like, actually, I'm not stuck. I'm right where I need to be. And I can't start this, whatever this new thing is. I didn't know it was going to be a podcast to be quite honest with you, but whatever this new thing is, I can't start it until I start moving some of these things in my body. And Mm -hmm. I have a very strong intuition and I'm very connected with my body and I realize that's not the case for a lot of people, but my intuition has only gotten stronger the more connected to my body I've been. And I feel like it's really important to say that to people is like intuition is something that can be developed. If you don't feel like you have very strong intuition, I'm going to guess that you're spending like 99% of your time in your head and you're not in your body because in the body is where that intuition is. It's literally like a gut feeling or a knowing or whatever. And it was movement. It wasn't even dance at that point. It was just like, I changed things up. I went from walking to jogging. I started shaking. I started turning on music and like just moving my body through space and feeling what that felt like. And it really did help me to be like, oh, these are things that need to move through me before I can start this next thing. This is part of my process and I'm not actually stuck. And I'm just gonna say it, you're only stuck if you believe you're stuck. Mm -hmm. A habit and a pattern that keeps getting reinforced, right? Like I'm stuck, therefore I keep my body stuck. And if my body's stuck, then my mind is stuck. So we're just perpetuating that. And that's one of the reasons that we, we try to look beyond our movement patterns. We try to challenge the way that we move so that we, Un, we get unstuck from that habit, that just vicious cycle of staying exactly where we are, mind and body. So how does challenging the way that we move if we're stuck people or if we're moving very quickly through life all the time and never slowing down or like how does challenging the way that we move mm-hmm. help us change what we think is going on inside of our heads or what is happening in our nervous system. Just from my own personal experience, I believe that moving in this way creates more resiliency in the Mm -hmm. nervous system and it makes you better able to handle stress. And so how does that work? For me, anyway, you hit the nail on the head, right? That if we only have a very limited scope, whether that's how we think or how we move, we really limit our experience. We limit our potential for working through that experience. We limit our emotional range. I always say it limits our emotional capacity. 
in a sense, when we learn to move differently and move more, not better, but move more, it makes our emotional gas tank bigger. So that reserve is bigger. Um, working a lot with dementia, I'd always heard of cognitive reserve. So there was a study, I think they called it the nun study, where a large group of nuns all had brain indicators of Alzheimer's, but their memory was actually still very much intact. And one of the reasons it came down to was this intense, this incredibly large cognitive reserve, their spiritual practice, maybe their sense of community, their, their sense of higher purpose and meaning, et cetera, led to an abundance of connections in their brain, which allowed the memories to stay intact, even though, again, they had these markers in their brain for Alzheimer's disease. I see the same thing with movement. If you move more, you build more connections in your body, which increases that resilience. It increases your emotional capacity so that I have more ways of handling something. If it's like having a, like we say, have a plan B, right? But in your body, you can have a plan A through Z because of the different ways that you're teaching your body to move. And so not only is it showing me that I'm resilient, I can come up with other ideas, but I can also sit in the discomfort when things don't go my way. And I can still get explosive. I can still have anger and sadness and depression and anxiety, but I know how to manage it. And that's very different. It's very different. And so honestly, it can look as pedestrian as brushing your teeth with your non-dominant hand. Writing, I always joke, don't write any really important documents this way. Don't sign any big checks, but start writing with your opposite hand just to build that capacity, just to build that emotional reserve through the body. And then honestly, if we want to look at more advanced ways of increasing that profile, it's looking at the spectrum of our movement habits. So if I'm always fast, now I'm going to try the opposite, which is slow, slow. And then I'm also going to look at that spectrum. Can I move across the spectrum? And sometimes in my sessions with people, that's literally what we do. The office, one side is fast, one side is slow, right? Or whatever the metaphor is for them. And we're going to create this visible, this invisible or imaginary line or spectrum. So I move through the space, I move through this office, I move through the studio, and I embody the different ways that I can move through this element until I find my own natural capacity and my own natural flow in a sense. Maybe it's somewhere in between, but it's also showing me that I can show up and move fast when I really need to. I can slow down when I need to, and I can exist on a spectrum because that to me is, we're in a very binary world and we need to be seeing the gray, like no pun intended. A lot of things right now are black and white. Where is the gray? Where is the gray? To me, that's where empathy comes in, where communication comes in. And to be able to engage in that for our bodies is beneficial to everyone. Mm, absolutely. I could not agree with you more. So how do you, let's say I come to work with you and I, you're like telling me, get into your body. And I'm like, I don't know what that feels like. And then when I'm in my body, I feel really awkward or I just recently started putting the videos of myself dancing and moving on Instagram. That's not something that I would have had the confidence to do mm -hmm. not too long ago because there was this like shame, this, what if I'm not doing it right? I've even had the thought of what if a professional dancer is watching this and critiquing what I'm doing? How do you help people just to be like, fuck it. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks and it doesn't matter 
Like you get to do you and your movements and your body. And it's not a show for somebody. It's actually healthy for you. Like how do you help people move past that? Like fear of judgment or shame or awkwardness of being in their body. I mean, at basic level, it's just about validating that and supporting that. So even just as, as a counselor, that is obviously something that is in my blood to just say, I hear what you're saying. <laughs> I understand or, or understand isn't always the, the best way to put it, but what I hear you saying is right. So that I'm not minimizing that experience because it's real. It's valid. I've had those experiences. I still do. I think a lot of us, it's a very human thing to come up against judgment, right? how we all experience it or work through it is another thing, but judgment is not, is not void in the human existence and especially in social media. <laughs> and yet, as you were talking, my thought is like, that is everything that person says is another opportunity to be in their body. This feels awkward. Okay. What does awkward look like? Forget moving. Here's another word. What does awkward look like? And maybe it's a statue. So I know that if you can see me right now. Maybe people listening can't, but like maybe awkward this but it's like yeah. a real contorted figure. Okay, all right. What else are you feeling? Judgment. All right, what does judgment look like? This. Okay, and so we start to just correlate words with gestures, words with physical expression. And then all of a sudden the person's like, okay, I'm, I'm moving. <laughs> or I can say, notice that you've been in your body this whole time. We're starting to reconnect or reinforce that how you feel has a, an existence, right? Or exists in your body as movement. And that can often be one way to just introduce this idea. Another thing that I had mentioned earlier was for somebody that's, I don't want to move. It's funny because I'm like, why are you here? <laughs> right? You do know that this is a movement therapist you're talking to, but the, I love it. It's a challenge. I love that they show up. And sometimes what we start off doing is just good old fashioned piece of paper and pen or marker or whatever utensil we have with us. And uh, sometimes it's about using music because sometimes the person doesn't feel comfortable with movement, but music speaks to them. And I'll ask them to, to pick like a favorite music, or maybe I'll bring in the music. Maybe it's classical, maybe it's fast, maybe it's hip hop, whatever it is. I will ask them to just put that pen to paper and leave it down until the song ends. And they just have to move whatever comes up through that rhythm, through that song. Maybe they end up writing words in cursive, but it's just this continuous movement until the song's over. And then we look at it and we just notice what happened. What's on the page? What do you notice? What movements took place? And then can we take those movements, those pen marks off the page and embody them? Can you walk this pattern? Can you walk the trail that you created? Is there one piece of that paper, of that line that you can take on and you can embody, whether it's a gesture, a movement, a posture, whatever that looks like. So maybe it's, oh, I made this like line and I'm going to embody the line, or I made this squiggle and this is what it would look like to move the squiggle. So it takes the focus off of what movement should look like, how it should be executed. And it just, to me, takes it for what it is. Just, can we mirror what we see? Can we move what we just expressed, but put it back into the body where it actually originated? Yeah. What about for somebody who maybe they're not in that stuck place of like super anxious, super depressed, where it's hard for them to even just blink or move their fingers and toes, or maybe they're past the point of they don't need to do it on paper. They're ready to get in their body, but they're mm -hmm. just like, 
is it just as simple as like turn on some music and start dancing? Or is there more to be aware of in that process? What about for those people? So for individuals that are like maybe trying dance or movement on their own. Yeah. Yeah. I think there are a lot of ways you can try again, getting out of this like right or wrong. There is no right or wrong. It's experience. It's just trying it on and seeing how it feels. So it could be something like, again, playing some music in your house and just notice what happens when you put the music on, right? Like maybe you start to tap your toes, maybe you're swaying to it. Just notice the response. That's all you have to do is just notice the response. And if there is a response, then take note of it, do it again, or maybe even give yourself a little, like a pat on the back for like, Hey, this spoke to me. This did something. You can forget the music and go outside. It's conducive. If the weather is okay, take a walk. And my favorite thing to tell people is be mindful of that walk. Don't be on a phone conversation. If you have to have music playing, which I know a lot of us do, can you have the speaker? Like, I get that's not possible for everybody, but I'll use myself as an example. So my neighborhood's pretty quiet these days, and I've actually stopped using earbuds or headphones, and I just put my phone in my pocket, and I have the music playing so that I can hear it, but that it's not obnoxious to the people around me if, if somebody should walk by. And it's better for me because I'm more aware of my environment, and the sound is still there and it's supporting whatever mood or movement I need in that moment, but it's not closing off my communication. It's not closing in my ability to hear or notice what's going on around me. And just, again, noticing how my feet are touching the ground, paying attention to my posture, my gait. Those are things we take for granted, but, but that's movement. And those are all a place to start. So it's not like we have to intentionally be like, all right, I'm going to dance today. Because to be honest with you, sometimes that anxiety, that provokes anxiety in me too. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not dressed. My kids are all over the place. Now I'm supposed to dance. What? I haven't had the motivation to do that myself, but movement, right, is possible all the time. And if I can just notice what I'm doing and how I can change that or support, that feels a lot more doable. It feels more manageable than the assumption or the expectation of, dance, which sometimes to us is, all right, I got to have the right clothing, got to have the right music, got to have the right environment. I don't know about you guys. It's not happening for me right now in 2020. So <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Let's take the pressure off. <laughs> right. Also for me, noticing that dance in a lot of forms does depend on the environment. I'm used to dance, not in this practice, but like going out to dance in a studio with people, certain music, and trying to recreate that for myself in my basement through Zoom wasn't happening. And I did have a lot of emotions around that, guilt and anxiety. And it took a while, but I finally said, you know what? I I'm going to stop putting pressure on myself to make it work when there's clearly a response in my body that's saying, this doesn't work here. This doesn't happen. And I need to practice what I preach. I need to find other ways of moving and engaging my body, knowing that what I've been used to doing may not work in this moment in time. So giving ourselves permission that it might not look the way we think it should, but our bodies will tell us what it needs, what they need. That brings up a really uh, good question for me, actually, is in episode 13 with Serena from Mindful Tricks, we talked towards the end of the episode about how 
when people start something new, whether it's a therapy, dance and movement, an exercise program, a new diet, like whatever it is that's new, the nervous system in the brain immediately puts up resistance. And it's mm-hmm. like for the first few days or few weeks of this new thing, it's like, this isn't working for me. This works for everybody else, but it doesn't work for me. And mm-hmm. there's a resistance to it. So how does a person, like you were saying, you had these feelings about like guilt and shame and because you couldn't set up a dance studio in your basement and do Zoom dance with people. So that to me isn't the same type of resistance that I'm talking about. That was more of you just being like, it's not a hell yes for me. (laughs) Right, right. It's not a hell yes for me. So (laughs) for people who are it's very difficult for them to discern between what is me and my body going, actually, this isn't working right now. And what is that nervous system resistance that we come up against that sort of makes it very difficult to push through? How do we interpret the difference between those? I think it's very individualized, but the word that came up for me as you were talking is fear. And I think, again, using myself as an example, when I noticed that things weren't working, I can ask myself, am I afraid of this? Is there something that I'm afraid of here? And for me, the answer was, no, I'm not afraid. It just, it doesn't feel, it's not helping. It's not helping me. And I think there were other ways that I could move outside of the, but I must be dancing that felt better. So one is, is this fear-based? Am I afraid that if I do this, I'm going to change? I might get, quote, better. I might move out of my comfort zone, which comfort has actually been anxiety or depression. And I don't want to be there, but there's comfort and familiarity. And so my body's, whoa, what are you doing? That's why one of the things I know it's obviously very prevalent, especially on the internet right now, is it's okay to not be okay. But I always see the opposite because there's so many clients that don't know it's okay to be okay. Something is like, woo, things are going right. Warning must sabotage, (laughs) think the other shoe must drop. And then they sabotage a really good thing because they're just waiting for the bad thing to happen. Good things can't happen to me, therefore I must sabotage it. So I feel like we need to recognize that there's fear. We also just need to recognize if there's hesitation because it's not familiar and it's not comfortable. Knowing that oftentimes the things that are familiar and comfortable are the things that are keeping us stuck or are the things that are actually the greatest detriment to our mental health. And it is going to feel uncomfortable and it is going to be weird. And I think even giving yourself permission to come back, right? Just because it's not working right now doesn't mean it won't. But can you give yourself the permission to keep trying? Can you try it once a week? Can you try it once a day? Can you come back in 30 days and see if your perceptions change? Again, like really taking away the expectation and just giving yourself opportunity actually have yet to have somebody not find benefit in it. It takes longer for certain people, but I've never actually had a client say, this is not going to work. I'm out of here. They might say, I don't think this is going to work, but I'll see you next week. (laughs) And then that goes on for a little while. And then suddenly it's, yeah, I don't want to say that this is working, but let's just say things are changing. Like, I'm not going to give you the benefit of the doubt, but yeah, this new relationship is not really going the way that old ones have. And there's something to be said for that. (laughs) Yeah. It's, I think, again, you put it this way, like we keep ourselves in bubbles. We keep ourselves stuck physically, emotionally, mentally. 
And also, if you're noticing that there's a lot of resistance and hesitancy, that can be a sign that you're just not ready. Like, you're just not ready to do the work. And that's okay, too. And sometimes we just have to sit in that for a while. Sit in the woe, the guilt, the shame, until we, we for some clients, I've noticed, like, they're disgusted enough that it, I, I don't want this for myself anymore. I'm tired of sitting in this. And, you know, your willingness to change has to be greater than your willingness to stay the same. Mm, well said. You mentioned earlier, if you have a heartbeat and some brain waves, you can <laughs> dance. So I think that it's, it's important and appropriate to ask, what about people who are disabled, who they don't have the use of their arms or their legs or all four of their uh, limbs? Like, how can they also benefit from this experience? Again, it goes down to what movement is possible. And that's what I, I really love about movement therapy is that it just meets the person where they are. So there is no prerequisite in terms of you must be able to stand, you must be able to releve, jete, whatever ballet word you want to throw in. Um, it really just meets the individual where they are. And I think what comes up sometimes is what if I have this ability and my therapist doesn't, right? And that's when it's, it's really important to know that there's so many therapists out there that do this work, that have different capacities, different abilities themselves that can really help connect with you. Just if I'm of a certain religion or race, I might want to see a therapist that is of the same religion or race as I am. I think it's very common to feel that way about our physical abilities. And when you are just taking your body for what it is, what it can do, what it's capable of in the moment, the potential is there. I've had so many clients that or caregivers, I should say, of clients that will say, don't touch the side of the body. They can't move it. Or this part's paralyzed or physically, if there's pain, I don't push it literally. Like I've had client, older clients, especially where you know, their arms have dislocated or something's broken and they didn't do surgery. So it's like permanently like that. That's going to cause pain. I would never intentionally move a part of the body that's going to cause pain. On the other side, I've come into rooms where people are supposedly can't move this side of the body. So don't try. I witnessed them take the, the moving arm, hold the arm that doesn't work on its own and move it themselves pick the arm up and have both arms over their head. That's agency. That's movement. I didn't ask them to do that. They did it on their own. And who are we to limit people's experiences based off of what we witness? I make assumptions of what I see. And then I put you in a hole or in a box that says you can't do these things. That is not okay. And so if anything, I feel like the creative arts therapies, whether it's art, music, drama, dance, poetry, Bibliotherapy, those are things that transcend the abilities of the body and say that you are how you show up. You are able to do what you can with what you have because the creative process is there to support it. Okay. She said that very lessonance and I was like, we're done. There's nothing left to say here. This is fantastic. So I'm going to have links to everything that we talked about in this episode in the show notes links to Erica's website where you can follow her. She's on Instagram as the therapist who moves you. And she also has a body awareness for mental health workbook that you can buy as well as a journal with 30 movement prompts 
that you can download for free. So those will be linked in the show notes as well. You can find show notes at lindsaylockett.com forward slash podcast. And this is episode 20. And as always, you can find me on Instagram at I am Lindsay Lockett.